Hello everyone and thank you for joining today's conference call. I'm Elizabeth Kerr from Business Forward and I'll be moderating our conversation today. Currently all lines are in listen-only mode. Today we'll be talking about the future of doing business in Cuba. Uh, while the United States has moved to normalize relations with Cuba over the last few years, only Congress can fully lift uh, the remaining embargo that still prohibits tourist travel and limits the availability of U.S. companies and farmers to compete in this emerging market. We're pleased to welcome Representative Rick Crawford from Arkansas's 1st Congressional District, who's one of the key leaders on this issue in Congress, and James Williams, the President of Engage Cuba, a coalition of private businesses and companies working to lift the embargo. Uh, the Congressman will talk a little bit about his views um, of existing Cuba policy that affect businesses and how that might change through federal legislation. And we'll hear from James about the political reality of changes to U.S. Cuba policy. After their remarks, there will be time for questions and comments about your company's experiences pertaining to uh, doing business in Cuba. So uh, I'll talk about how to ask questions in just a minute. For those of you who are new to our programming, Business Forward organizes local roundtables, Washington fly-ins, conference calls, webinars, and media trainings for more than 100,000 business leaders across America. And at these briefings, entrepreneurs, investors, small business owners, and senior executives get the chance to brief policymakers on issues that affect their businesses and talk about how Washington can work better with businesses to accelerate our economy. Over the past several years, more than 550 senior administration officials, members of Congress, governors, and mayors have participated in our programming. So this is all thanks to the support of more than 60 of America's largest and most respected companies. Before we get started, I need to cover just a few housekeeping items. First, this call is on the record and reporters may be present on the call. That also means that we'll provide a recording to all of you after this call. Additionally, uh, we're gathering anecdotes from small businesses across the country about how the Cuban embargo affects their companies. We hope to include your advice in our briefing materials and our, and our press advisories. If you would like to participate in any of that work, just press 5 at any time on your telephone keypad and we'll follow up with you in the next couple weeks. Finally, there will be time for you to ask questions and share your advice on this call, as I mentioned, and you can do that one of two ways. First, you can press 1 on your telephone keypad, and you'll be automatically entered into the queue for us to call on you live, or you can email your questions to us at info at businessfwd.org. So again, you can press 1 to ask your question live, or you can email your question to info at businessfwd.org, and I'll read it aloud for you. So with that, let's get started. Please welcome Congressman Rick Crawford. Well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to uh, visit a little bit today. Uh, HR 525 is the legislation that uh, we're uh, proposing that would lift the credit restriction uh, regarding the sale of U.S. ag commodities to Cuba. Um, it's really, it's, it's been a long time coming. We're making great strides with this. We have um, about 37 co-sponsors, 26 originals, and, and uh, um, gaining more traction as we speak. Um, you know, this is kind of an issue that uh, right now it's under review with the administration. I have talking, uh, spoken to some folks at uh, the administration, and um, I think the idea that it, it doesn't fit with the Trump administration is probably not accurate. I think that this is a, on on its face is is an opportunity for trade, and and uh, the president has indicated he wants to create more opportunity for for bilateral trade agreements. And in that in that sense, this is a, this is good, and it fits his agenda. In the broader sense, it's good for um, America. It's good for rural America in particular because some 17 million jobs associated with agriculture across the country 
and the economic impact that this measure would provide to rural communities who rely heavily on agriculture. And then finally, um, how does this affect the folks in Cuba? Well, certainly there's a humanitarian component to this, uh, and so I think it's in our interest cer certainly to, to be a part of um, the economy in Cuba. But I think uh, more broadly, if we want to play a productive role in reform in Cuba, and I would say that having been there now a few times, uh, I can tell you that, that there is a, a, a palpable sense uh, among the Cuban people that uh, you know, political, social, cultural, and economic change is, is imminent. And so we can be a part of that. We can be a productive part of it. We can help shape uh, that reform and, and, um, and be a partner, or we can continue to uh, withdraw, withhold, and, and allow things to happen there in Cuba that may not be in our interest. And so I think it's good for the Cuban people. I think it's good for the American people. And it's hard to say no to a win-win. So I'll leave it at that and then um, uh, await your, your uh, questions. Great, James. Uh, can you, uh, do you want to chat a little bit before we get started with questions? Absolutely. Well, first of all, um, thank you. My name is James Williams. I'm the president of Engage Cuba. I'd like to recognize and thank Congressman Crawford for taking time out of his schedule and for also his continued leadership on this issue, particularly for America's farmers. Um, I'd also like to thank Elizabeth and Business Forward for hosting this important call. Um, for everyone who's on the phone, both Engage Cuba State Council members and members of the Business Forward network of business leaders across the country, this is an incredibly important time to be discussing this issue. So we're thrilled that we're able to have this talk today. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Engage Cuba, we are a DC-based national coalition of businesses working to lift the Cuba embargo. You know, when we think about this issue, it really just comes down to common sense. You know, no business in the world will continue a strategy that has failed for 55 years. It's time, and I think the American people are with us, over 75% support this, it's time for a new U.S. government strategy to engage with Cuba. While we spend our time on Capitol Hill working members of Congress to change this policy, We've also launched state councils in 16 states across the country to show all the local support that exists for that. So if you're in one of these 16 states and you can find out at engagecuba.org, we'd love to have you or your organization join our council. There are no dues or fees required, and we're always looking to expand and show the continued momentum to change this policy. As the, the Congressman talked a lot about the importance for American agriculture, and the opportunities are real. Cuba is over $2 billion uh, importer of, of agricultural products per year. This is a huge and immediate opportunity for U.S. producers and exporters. But it's also more than that. Cuba is looking to re, re, uh, revolutionize their entire economy, to bring in more foreign direct investment, to be buying more products from foreign partners. Right now, the, they're looking at over 396 foreign investment projects from U.S. companies and companies from around the world. Everything from infrastructure to telecommunications, healthcare, energy, agriculture, tourism, um, you name it, there are opportunities for investment and for market opportunities in Cuba that the United States should be playing a leadership role. We're 90 miles away. We have the know-how. We share cultural sentiments. Um, we are the organizations and the companies that should be taking part in Cuba's new future. The most robust studies show that if we were to lift the embargo, it would be a, around a $6 billion opportunity um, for the United States annually, and just in exports alone. And we really believe in a simple and fundamental tenet and belief, which is the U.S. opportunity businesses should have a chance to compete. Right? We want to improve both the lives of the businesses here in the United States and help the Cuban people. 
So it's important to know after a very long time that Cuba is open for business and it's time that Congress gets out of the way of American companies interested in helping Cuba move into the 21st century. So in addition to our advocacy work, we also consult U.S. companies as they try to explore the Cuba's emerging markets, help them navigate the regulatory process. As many of you know, you know we have a set of very complicated sanctions um, that you know, we use as shorthand as the Cuba embargo that makes it difficult for U.S. companies to compete in Cuba. However, even under these strict restrictions, there are still immediate opportunities for companies to explore. So we very much look forward to the companies that are interested in talking about this further. Please, you can contact us at info at engagecuba.org if you're interested in learning more about what the regulatory restrictions may be and what the opportunities are for your business. There's a lot more often than you think, and we hope you will take the next step in looking into this further. And as the Congressman said, I think this is a really important point because it often gets lost in the debate. You know, at the end of the day, we're talking about real people. And this policy, the Cuban embargo, has not helped the lives of the Cuban people. So you may hear a lot of buzzwords about engagement and what it has or has not done. But if we look back at the last 55 years, we have seen a policy that has not improved human rights, it has not brought a market economy, it has not changed the political leadership. So we think a strategy that actually delivers some sort of results is imperative and it needs to happen now. So we're focusing our, our business on one thing really, really central, that we believe this helps the U.S. economy, it helps U.S. national interests, and it also helps the Cuban people. So with that, we'd like to say thank you again to everyone here before we open up to the Q&A. Um, if you have not made your voice heard on this issue, we really encourage you strongly to reach out to a member of Congress about this. The, the momentum is on our side. We are feeling you know, every day we know the public support is there, but it's critical that people actually take the steps to make their voice heard. We have a Take Action tab on our website. Again, engagecuba.org. Follow us on social media. And please, we'd love to be engaged with you as we move this relationship forward. Thanks again for having us. Sure thing. And uh, just uh, we're, we're happy to help you here at uh, Business Forward with that outreach to Congress, uh, you can either press 5 and like I said, we'll follow up with you or just respond to the, e the follow-up email that we send out after this and uh, let us know what you're looking to do. Uh, as a reminder, uh, we're going to move to questions now, but as a reminder, if you'd like to ask a question, just press 1 on your telephone keypad or you can, and we'll, ask, we'll put you in the queue to ask the question live or you can email us your question at info at businessfwd.org. Uh, again, press 1 or email us. We're going to start with our live, first we're going to start with a live question first, and that's with um, Gary Heathcott. Gary, uh, when you, when we're going to open your line here. If you could let us know where you're calling from and tell us what your business is, and then go ahead and share your comment or question. Yes, good afternoon, folks. Hello, Rick. How are you, sir? Gary good. Heathcott from Little Rock. I miss you. My yes, duck sir. this past year, sir. Yes, uh, sir. I thought that their name sounded familiar. <laughs> a couple of things. Um, uh, very quickly, I was in Cuba last week, and I just wanted to report for those that are on the line here, um, th there is an absolute new attitude um, among the people in that country about what is happening. This was my 88th trip over the last 26 years to Cuba, and uh, free, free uh, enterprise, free commerce is is growing. Even the Cubans are boasting that something in the neighborhood of, a, of nearly a third of their workforce is now self-employed. A lot of it that you see in and around the major cities is in the restaurants, the paladars, but 
um, it, it's now no longer illegal to 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 be making keys for someone else. Uh, so there's a lot of positive things going on there. Um, also, just to point out that that our firm uh, is currently doing business in Cuba. Um, we just launched um, the website uh, for the U.S. for uh, Palco, which is their uh, uh, trade show and convention uh, industry there. We got OFAC license to do that. Um, so th there are things like that happening. My question, it, it probably goes uh, maybe closer to James and, and Elizabeth um, rather than you, Congressman, but um, what, what I'm hearing from a lot of Americans that, that I'm running into down there that are there to get involved in business is that they're being shut down in D.C., that the Cubans have started playing a little bit more a hardball and are, are not accepting um, – are, are, are not really open uh, to doing new deals right now. If that's wrong, that this might be a good time to clear that up. Um, I get the impression from the people in Cuba that I deal with at Palco that, and, and they're kind of endorsing that and saying they're just trying to put as much pressure as they can on, you know, on the administration, on Congress by uh, by kind of shutting things down right now. You hear anything along those lines up there, guys? Hey, well, this is James, and Gary, it's great to talk to you again. Thanks for uh, being on the call and for everything you're doing on this issue um, and have for a very long time. Yeah, I, I think we have not seen that as crystallized as you described. I think there is a degree um, of which they continue to show strong interest in U.S. companies. I think the challenge is if you're you know, not the Ministry of Foreign Affairs or the Ministry of Trade, but you're an actual state enterprise down there, in agriculture or energy, transportation, you know, and you have 10 different proposals on your desk and one is from the United States company, one's from a Chinese company, one's from a Russian company, one's from Brazil, you know, you know, you have certainty in your, you know, evaluatory process that these other you know, non-U.S. company projects are going to go forward, right? They have political buy-in from their government. They have, you know, they don't have regulatory restrictions and sanctions on you. And so I think there, we are in a little bit of a period of uncertainty. And I think more than not, it's, that's the equation. It's not necessarily they're specifically not wanting to do business with U.S. companies. It's more that, you know, when it comes down to concrete deals and we don't have, we don't know what the U.S. government policy is going to be with, you know, on the most certainty that we should, uh, it creates a challenge. And so, yeah, we've seen trips get approved. We've had we just um, had a deal signed this just this week with a company we work with. So we're seeing stuff still happen, um, but I think it is creating a you know a new era of anxiety as a result of the change in government. Okay, thank you. Um, we're going to move quickly to an emailed question, and uh, we I know we've got a few folks in the queue on the phone. Uh, we've had this question for a few days since the invitation went out, so I want to make sure we get to it. Uh, and this is from Randy Berholtz in San Diego. And he's asking, I'm working with a company that is seeking to bring a drug from Cuba into the U.S. for phase three clinical trial and then commercialization. And the drug meets a great unmet need. We have a license from the Department of Commerce and the Department of Treasury. Will the Trump administration honor those licenses? We can show that the drug will save the U.S. healthcare system hundreds of millions of dollars. And can Congress help here? Well, I'll, I'll start and say that, uh, you know, for the purposes of, of what I'm trying to accomplish in Cuba, 
an answer to that question is out of scope for me. I would hope just as, as John Q. Citizen that the President would recognize the value of that and, uh, um, and see a need that, that, that it can fill. Um, but it, it's vastly out of scope for the legislation that, that I'm talking about today. So uh, I, I, I appreciate the, um, the work that you're doing in that regard, and we certainly need to move forward um, to, to bring down the cost of uh, drugs in this country as part of our health care program, but um, it would be, it would be uh, probably inappropriate for me to, to comment. Yeah, I can, James, do you want to address um, this and maybe uh, yeah, general licensing yeah. issues? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you for the work that you're doing on this. This is incredibly important, and it shows why this issue really should matter to real people. This is an opportunity to save lives, um, and there's nothing that politics should be doing to stand in the way of that. It creates a great opportunity for American patients and for the Cuban people. So, again, thank you for that. What we've heard in our conversations to date with the Trump administration, and again, obviously this is you know very new, um, is that there's you know their their posture to us at least and to others that we've worked with is that they will continue um, to honor speci any specific licensing um, that has already been granted. So you know if you have a, a license for to be able to import this medicine or product or treatment, that that would be something they would not. You know, reverse um, the question. I think more broadly, um, which will become the challenge moving forward, is you know a lot of the categories of which people are able to do business now that the Obama administration changed over the last two years created these quote unquote general license categories. So, you know, it allowed you to not need a specific license from the U.S. government to be able to do business. I mean, I think it's crazy we even have to be in that place, but as a result of the embargo, that's where we are. Um, so those you know, are going to be evaluated. However, you know, we, that's still in the very early stages. But if you have a, you know, a specific license to date, um, you know, I would not be overly concerned about you know, that being voided or anything like that. I think the question will be you know, what happens with the renewal um, depending on where they go with the policy. But this is why it's uh, important great. that you, you. you reach out. Um, and we can help with any additional follow-up either uh, with Engage Cuba or um, the administration. Uh, our next question is live, and it comes from Joe James. Uh, Joe, go ahead and introduce yourself. Uh, tell, please tell us what your business is and where you're calling from, and then go ahead and ask your question. Well, I'm calling from Columbia, South Carolina, and my company is called Agritech Producers LLC. And we have uh, innovative technology that converts uh, biomass material into a charred substance from which a variety of products can be made. Uh, we responded to uh, uh, information about the Cuban Agricultural Group or department, I can't quite determine what, what it is, uh, asking for <clears throat> assistance in charcoal production and, and bagging and other things. And uh, real quick, our, our process and the other technologies that we have can actually create higher value materials than just making charcoal, which could produce jobs in Cuba. So we're a small company. Uh, we're looking for assistance in trying to cut through all of this. Well, I, let me just, I'll, I'll start by saying that um, our, our bill is geared toward, toward that type of investment. 
uh, in Cuba. It's it's narrowly focused on agriculture, and, and it sounds like from what you're saying, your company would fit in uh, the scope of what our bill is attempting to do. And so, um, you know, at the end of the day, just as you said, it's really about jobs. It's about jobs for Americans. It's about jobs for uh, Cubans as well. And as we, you know, look to really create greater opportunity and improve quality of life. So uh, it sounds to me like um, your venture would fit well with what we're trying to achieve here with regard to uh, uh, advancing agricultural trade with Cuba and uh, and the investment associated with that. So I would just say stay, stay tuned and uh, talk to your uh, representative and, and ask him or her, uh, in your case him, if he's on the uh, Cuba trade bill, the ag trade bill, HR 525, and if not, why not? And that'll help us build a critical mass to get this thing uh, to the floor. And, and if we can get the bill marked up and to the floor, I, I believe we can we can pass this because there's so much support for it across the country. Yeah, and just one point. This is James Joe. Um, you know, we were involved in um, the effort that did the first importing of Cuban charcoal about a little over a month ago. Um, so we'd be happy to talk to you too about you know how our experiences from that process, some lessons learned, and then maybe provide some uh, you know insight into your path moving forward. Uh, great, thank you. Our next question comes from Dawson Williams. Dawson, your line's open. Go ahead and let us know where you're calling from. Yes, uh, I'm calling from Virginia. I work with uh, Turkey Knob Growers. So up until a few years ago, we were one of the larger fresh apple shippers to Allenport. Um, my question is, is, I've seen some proposals uh, for bills that are before the House. Um, they're talking about allowing for uh, private institutions to offer um, credit insurance, but not for the public institutions. Um, my comment is I think Exim Bank would be necessary in order to get the private players into the marketplace. Um, and I'm wondering why um, that's being left off the table. Is it because there's issues with XM Bank and the move a year ago when there was uh, an issue about renewing its charter uh, that you know waylaid it for six months, or, or what, what is the thinking behind that? Well, I mean, it's it's uh, you know we're walking a fairly delicate uh, uh, line here, of, uh, trying to maintain a, a balance of uh, garnering the of a group of folks who have heretofore been ardently opposed to what we're trying to do and we have now uh, brought them in and they're at the table with us instead of um, you know uh, working against us and that is um, the South Florida delegation and that's number one uh, number two we're trying to um, ensure folks that are on this bill and for folks across the country who don't want to see um, the federal government be a backstop for uh, a private sector endeavor. Uh, so what we're trying to do is take down the barriers for trade. We're not necessarily trying to pick winners and losers. And I'm afraid that, uh, you know, there's certainly going to be entities that will, that will be able to arrange for credit and extend credit uh, for these deals. But this is not, it's nothing more than taking down a barrier. It's not to, um, create uh, any kind of environment that would uh, incentivize artificially uh, any activity in Cuba. I think that the market is there and it's, it's plain to see that 
Um, there's a demand for U.S. ag goods in Cuba, and really the only impediment to reaching that market is the credit restriction. Um, and so there are very few ag products um, that are sold because of the cash upfront requirement. It's not consistent with other nations that we do business with, and so I'm just trying to make sure that we make, we, we make that consistent and that we uh, apply the same standard to Cuba as we do to other nations, for example, China, Vietnam, Venezuela, and others. Um, and so, to ask your, answer your question, I, I don't think we need any, um, any taxpayer backstop, nor do I think that it would be a welcome part of the legislation, uh, and it would possibly even imperil the legislation. So what we're really trying to do is just to take down that barrier, and, and, and there's no guarantees. This is the free market at work, and for ag producers across the country who want to engage uh, in transactions with Cuba, I would encourage that. But I'd also, you know, with the caveat, uh, you know, caveat emptor, uh, in this case, in reverse, a seller, uh, beware um, that, you know, you may be encountering slow pay, and you might want to factor that into the cost of doing business in Cuba, but there won't be any taxpayer backstop in this case. I I'm sure that wasn't I feel certain that that wasn't comforting to you as a producer, but that's just the reality of where we are with this legislation, and in order for us to build a coalition to support it, that's something that we had to consider. Yep. Yeah, James, do you have anything to add to that? No, that was great. Okay, great. So um, our next question is kind of a follow-up to that, and this is from Randy Ennis, and it's an emailed question, and he's asking, uh, and this may be uh, more focused on James. What insurance is being provided by OPIC to U.S. businesses for making investments in Cuba? Also, what credit finance terms are being insured by the U.S. government for buyers in Cuba? So similar question, but I'm not sure if there's a, another answer to the OPEC piece. No, thank you. Thank you, Randy. I, unfortunately, I think it's quite minimal um, to non-existent um, to date. You know, what we've seen there is, you know, what the congressman's bill has been talking about is related to agriculture, um, and that's because of a 2001 passed bill that allowed Americans to sell food and agriculture uh, and medicine to Cuba, but made very strict provisions on credit and other trade uh, elements within the bill. Um, the president, former President Obama, when he made some of these changes over the last two years, allowed for the private credit to be offered for anything that's non-agricultural and medicine, so basically things that weren't covered by that bill. So there are opportunities, I mean, again, the difficulty is actually attaining that financing, you know, because this is so new and because of the embargo remains in place, banks have been more reluctant um, to offer financing terms. But, you know, in, in theory, you know, there is nothing legally stopping, you know, a, a company in the United States from being able to get credit to sell to Cuba a permissible item that is not agricultural medicine. So, you know, tires or, you know, things like that that are permissible under the law as supporting the Cuban people but are not a part of the ag bill. Um, but we have not seen, and I don't think we will see in the short term with this administration until there's a broader review of the policy, any sort of OPIC or uh, sort of export assistance coming from the federal government. 
Great, thanks. We're going to go to a live question now. Timothy Voigt, your line is open. Go ahead and introduce yourself with your business and where you're calling from and ask your question. Hi there everybody. My name is Tim Voigt. I'm calling from Thomaston Mills. Thomaston is the last remaining manufacturer of bed sheets uh, for hotels in the United States. Our factory is in central Georgia. Um, we export um, to the, all the countries in the Caribbean but Cuba. And uh, one of our biggest customers is the Barristar Hotel chain who has eight hotels in Cuba. Obviously we're talking a lot about agricultural and pharmaceutical products, but is there any prospect whatsoever of near-term action on products falling outside of those areas? In well, let me just say relief? that, yeah, let me say congratulations and thank you that uh, we still have some textile industry left in this country. Um, that's important to note, and I would call that an agricultural endeavor. And uh, the final product, although after further processing, it's not something you eat, but it is uh, fiber, and it's important to us. And I think it comes under the umbrella of agricultural commodities. Um, I, I don't think anybody could could deny that. Um, you know, you're basically you're processing cotton, um, and the end product is uh, is an agricultural good, even though it's I classify textiles as agricultural, so I don't think I'm splitting hairs there. And, and uh, it's my hope that you that this legislation would allow you now to uh, to be able to engage in that uh, transaction. Yeah. Well, first of all, and I'll just add to that. Thank you um, for the question and for the interest. You know, we work uh, with Marriott and Starwood. Who have been able to open up a you know initial hotel facility in Cuba and obviously work closely with the foreign hotel companies that are there such as Iberostar and Melia, uh, among others. And um, I think depending on what the service is, and I think in your case, um, you know we'd want to go through the fine print on it. But I, I feel very confident that uh, this is an opportunity that actually might exist immediately. Um, so we'd love to talk to you more about that and how it could work. Um, info at engagecuba.org. Um, and we, this is the type of stuff we do is help companies navigate this process. Uh, great. Thanks. Our next question comes from Philip Glaze. Philip, your line's open. All right. Thank you. Yes, I'm uh, Phil Glaze in Winchester, Virginia. Uh, like Dawson, I'm an Apple shipper and have cooperated uh, before shipping apples into Cuba up until two years ago. The, my sense has been that certainly we will gain a lot more attention for our apples uh, and some business without a line of credit requirement or the upfront money. However, the, my worry is how much money is in Cuba, how much do they have in order to be able to begin buying products on the free market. Um, that has already been addressed with Dawson's question in the XM Bank uh, and seller beware. But if those on the call have any input as to how the economy is and what's available for products such as apples, I would be interested to hear. I would think James would probably be um, equipped with the latest economic data from Cuba, but I would just say that um, we're, we're starting to see the economic conditions of Cuba improve tremendously almost right before our eyes in that we're seeing um, uh, folks that can purchase items that they haven't been able to purchase before, number one. Number two, 
as we start to see tourism ramp up, you're going to see considerably higher demand of a lot of goods. Um, you know, it's it's typically been a a leg quarter market. You'll probably see uh, you'll probably see that demand now extend to uh, um, uh, more expensive cuts of poultry, and then of course beef and and pork. And so it's logical to think that that tourist demand is going to improve their economic conditions and improve the opportunities for people like you to sell your product. Yeah, that, I mean, I could not agree more. And the only thing I would add, you know, I can't, I don't have the, you know, Apple specific data in front of me, um, but you know, as much there, the the thing that makes this bill, I think, so important and so you know, widely watched on both sides of the of the Florida Straits here is that, you know, no matter how Cuba's economy does or does not do, how uh, well it does, you know, people need to eat. Um, and so there's a, you know, we have a floor that's pretty high in terms of what Cuba's purchasing. You know, and it's roughly about two billion dollars a year in foreign agriculture. Um, and so, you know, that may fluctuate, you know, five to ten percent. Um, you know, depending on the economy and depending on how their domestic, you know, yields are from their agriculture, but we're still talking about a pretty solid number regardless of how the economy moves up and down. Now, that might not be the case across all sectors of the economy, but, you know, food is paramount, so we don't see much fluctuation in that. Thanks. Um, we're going to go now to an emailed question, and this is from Eddie Montgomery. I'm not quite sure where he emailed us from, but his question is, is business in Cuba limited, and businesses by American companies in Cuba, limited to production of goods and investments, or does this, or can it include building of Cuban infrastructure and infrastructure investment or construction rebuilding? Yeah, I, I think you're going to see, uh, and James can probably qualify this further. I think there's going to be an opportunity for joint ventures, uh, things like that. Um, and it, but I also think that. It, it's in a state of flux uh, from a policy perspective where Cuba, I'm talking about Cuba's policy. So I, I don't think it's um, easy to project uh, what Cuba's policy will be on that, uh, you know, a year from now, uh, five years from now. It, it's hard to, it's, it's hard to project. So maybe James could shed some light on that. Great. No, absolutely. You know, so what we've seen, you know, as of the last two years of the regulatory changes that the President Obama made, um, they carved out um, a bunch of flexibility and now allowing for this is a, a, um, approvable on a specific license from the U.S. government, but in the areas of infrastructure uh, and construction um, across the board. So there is a lot of flexibility in how that can be interpreted by, the, by this new administration. If they decide to, which we hope they will, um, take on a pro-jobs, uh, particularly pro-American jobs approach uh, to U.S. Cuba policy, this should allow lots of U.S. companies to be involved in infrastructure projects in Cuba. Um, you're seeing today, you know, we're working with an energy company that's in the process of bidding on a, you know, multi-hundred million dollar project in LNG in Cuba. Yeah, we have companies that are building, you know, on road projects, infrastructure, railway. Um, there is a lot that, you know, is yet to be determined, and why we think it's so important right now that companies who have a stake in this, who see the opportunities down the line, you know, make their voices heard on this because it is going through this review. Um, and if this is the case where, 
you know, we're allowed to continue to open up these new opportunities. You know, these are these aren't they're small projects, but there's also really significant, massive projects that are going to be happening. Thanks. We're gonna we've got time for about two more questions. Uh, our next question is from Melvin Anderson. Melvin, your line's open. Go ahead and ask your question. Melvin. Okay, um, we can move on to uh, we can move on to the next person. Um, Melvin, if you would like to ask still ask a question, just press one, and we'll come back to you. Uh, our next question is from Ryan Baggett. Ryan, your line's open. Uh, hi, I just wanted to ask if uh, the potential of solar energy has been evaluated. Uh, U.S. manufacturers uh, selling and uh, installing uh, solar uh, farms for community solar projects in Cuba um, seems like a seems like an ideal situation, but has it already been done? Are any moves been made that way? I couldn't comment uh, one way or the, or the other whether or not there's been any research down there. But uh, I think to your point, it seems like a natural fit with their climate. Uh, so I'm sure there's some opportunity there. Yeah, let me um, chime in on that. This because we've done a lot of work on this issue and. Um, it's a great question. So right now, Cuba's domestic energy is 96% dependent on fossil fuels. They have about a little under 4% renewables. They understand as a result of both the precarious situation in Venezuela and just about you know energy uh, stability and sustainability moving forward that that needs to change. Um, both a diversification of you know fossil fuel suppliers but also a robust plan to expand their renewable energy portfolio. So they approved last year, I believe, a plan that allows that with a goal for 24% renewable energy by 2030. So they have a massive portfolio, and we'd be happy to share that with you, of current projects in solar, wind, biomass, uh, hydro, um, across the entire, uh, excuse me, across the whole island that they're looking for foreign partners on. So, and this is something that, you know, as you could interpret the rules currently under U.S. law, that would be permissible. So we've done a bunch of trade delegations down there focused on renewables, um, and solar um, is obviously paramount given the the amount of sun they get down there and the strength of it. So, you know, we'd love to talk further on that. But yes, this is a, that's a real live opportunity and something that you would be, you know, received very warmly, I think, and anxiously by you know your counterparts in Cuba. Uh, great, thanks. It uh, looks like we have Melvin back. Melvin Anderson, your line's open. Go ahead and ask your question. Thank you very much. Good afternoon. My name is Melvin Anderson, CEO of It's My Career. We are a software company that develops K-12 learning tools. And my question is, is there any, off the top of your head, are there any roadblocks or protocols that we need to know when we try to engage with the school system? I'd have to defer to James on that. I've been fairly narrowly focused on agriculture. Uh, Melvin, uh, really exciting and interesting. I think what we've seen to date, I think the biggest roadblock is, you know, there is no uh, private education system currently in Cuba, and so there's a, certainly a cultural uh, growth period. I think that would have to happen in terms of them working with you know, private corporate partners or foreign partners generally 
Um, you know, it's been one of the things that you know, they cite most proudly about their education system and the, you know, some of the steps forward they've made over the last 50 years. Um, so a lot of this is, you know, I think for the future it will be very interesting to see. I'd say for now it would be a socialization of the process um, from, you, from the side of, you know, introducing your company and the types of software you provide and, you know, framing it in the idea that this could be a tool to enhance, you know, the great work that they're already doing and, you know, frame it as, you know, something that works within what they're already doing to make it even stronger. But know that, you know, they haven't done a lot of privatization in the system. Uh, great, thanks. We're going to close it out with one emailed question here that um, has a couple parts. Uh, the, this is from Brian Tossig Lux in Pennsylvania. And he, he has, his questions are, uh, first he's saying, our company has begun selling people-to-people -people travel to Cuba. And we're eager to offer a more, more independent travel product. Is there a chance that travel restrictions will be loosened even more before the embargo is listed? Or is travel try tied inextricably to the embargo? And then the second piece of that is uh, probably for the congressman here. What's your sense of Congress regarding this bill? Does support fall on party lines? Or is there an emerging bipartisan consensus? Well, James, I'll take the second question first, if that's okay with you. Um, I do think we have a, a great bipartisan effort here, and as I said, what we want is to, you know, hit critical mass. We're we're, we're moving forward and and trying to get as much co-sponsorship as we can, and uh, demonstrate to the leadership that this is a serious initiative, and and uh, we're getting a lot of folks moving our direction. So. Uh, this isn't, um, you know, 1985. We're not still looking through the lens of the Cold War, and I think there's every reason to think that this is a very reasonable approach and uh, entirely feasible. And, and, and I'm, I'm positive and hopeful that we're going to get it done. That's fantastic. Um, this, I'll take the first part of this question. And so, you know, what we've seen on this, and I think you know the congressman is alluding to this. Engage Cuba's view has been for an incremental, you know, while we support a full lifting of the embargo, you know, based on political realities, um, with where we already we've advocated an incremental approach with um, the pieces of legislation that to dismantle the embargo. And so, you know, the congressman's legislation around allowing uh, American agriculture, you know, a stronger opportunity to compete, you know, we feel like is, as he was saying, you know, extremely politically palatable and broadly supported both from all of American agriculture, but it, you know, across party lines as well. The other piece that your question touched on is the other legislation that is really advanced is there's a bill called the Freedom to Travel, the Cuba Act. It's extremely narrow. Um, as some of you may know, but it was, was news to me uh, until five plus years ago, is Cuba is the only country in the world that Congress has a tourist travel ban on. So think about that. You can travel to North Korea, Syria, Iran, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, but your government, you know, puts you through all these hoops and approval processes if you want to go see your island neighbor 90 miles away. Um, you know, regardless of your views on Cuba or the Castro government, you know, we think that's wrong. We don't think the federal government's job should be telling Americans where they can, can and cannot go on vacation, you know, unless there's a national security uh, threat posed to them or the country. So we already passed this legislation last year in the Senate, um, and you know, we're gaining momentum in the House, but we still have some more work to do to get it over the finish line. So, you know, for people like you in the travel industry and the tourism industry, 
um, you know, this is one of our top, top priority issues at EngageCuba that we're working on, and we'd love to have you um, and you know, your colleagues and partners as a part of that effort to let you know, your local representatives and you know, more broadly uh, the American government know that this is you know, about real opportunity for Americans' jobs and for the American people. So thank you. Great. Thank you to Congressman Crawford and to James Williams from Engage Cuba for the call today and to all of you for taking time out of your busy schedules to join us. As a reminder, if you're interested in doing more on this issue, including speaking to the media about how the embargo policies affect your business or contacting your member of Congress, please press 5 on your phone right now if you haven't already, or you can just e respond to the follow-up email that we send later today. We help small business owners and executives like you speak with the media and Congress about how various public policies affect their businesses, and we're happy to help you on this. Uh, that's all the time we have for today. Please check your email for a recording of today's call. Uh, please also join us next Tuesday for a webinar on projecting your, excuse me, protecting your business from cyber attacks. We'll host EY, the EY principle on cyber threat management on a conference call just like this one. Keep an eye out for that invitation uh, later this week. Again, thank you to Congressman Crawford and James Williams and to all of you for, who joined the call. We look forward to working with you again soon. Have a good afternoon. Thank you.